So, all right, well, let's pray. God, we thank you for this night and for each other. And we just ask you to bless our time together and help us to continue to open your word, both to our lives and our minds and to our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we talked about Pentecost while you were gone, okay. um, Kelly. And but we're going to we're going to revisit Pentecost in a in a different way um, because we're going to look up some other verses, uh, little pieces in Acts that are called the other Pentecosts. And um, so I thought that um, it didn't show up in my version. So I'm going to give Linda. Why don't you look up? Acts 8, 14 to 25, and Kelly, Acts 10, 44 to 48. And there's one more, but we'll start there. So we'll start with the Acts 8. Um, I didn't catch what they were talking about in this passage, but Linda, maybe it'll be in your version and you can, you can read it to us. Okay, Acts 8. 14 to 25. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. They prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. When Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Ah. When Simon saw this, when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles hands, he offered them money and said, give me this ability also so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for your having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now I hear it. I don't know why when I read it, I just skimmed right over it. But the, um, but he... Peter and John laid their hands on them and prayed them for them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when we look at the other passages, we'll hear it just a little bit differently that makes it sound more like Pentecost. So, Kelly, why don't you share yours? Okay. Acts chapter 10, 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water, 
they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. All right, then the other, the last one is um, Acts 19, 1 to 7. Um, while, Apollo, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And they replied, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he asked, then he said, into what then were you baptized? And they answered, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. So it's it's interesting, this observation that these are four other Pentecost experiences. Um, what do you hear that's the same and what's different? In the one thing that... Go ahead. Go ahead. Mine is relatively minor point in the passage that I read they talked about speaking in tongues, mm -hmm. which makes yes, sense. Yes, and that's what it was in mind too, yeah. um, which is not the way it's described in Acts 2. They were speaking in their own languages in Acts 2, oh. in the original Pentecost. Ah. They were speaking their own language and other people were hearing it in their own language. Right. Ah. So, um, Got it. In fact, some people make it very, some biblical um, scholars make it very clear that speaking in tongues is a is another one of the gifts, spiritual gifts, and that that was not what happened at Pentecost and that everybody can be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but not everybody will speak in tongues. Right. And one thing that stood out to me was it doesn't matter whether you're baptized by the Holy Spirit first or baptized with water first, but you should be baptized both is what I picked up. And I guess, so when you say that, do you mean like when we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we understand that the Holy Spirit acts in that baptism. Um, and we use water. But some people were never baptized. And some people, I guess it's, it, it, I'm looking at it as adult perspective, not as a baptizing in infants perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, because some people are never baptized. Adrian wasn't baptized till I don't even, I don't remember when, but he was late teen, early adult when he was baptized. He'd been working at the church for a long time, mm -hmm. but people don't have to be baptized. You're right. People 
people can experience the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. without being baptized. Yes. Um, and the, I think that in the United Methodist Church, we look at baptism and communion as means of grace, which means mm -hmm. that we believe that the Holy Spirit acts within that sacrament, that something Holy Spirit happens in that, whether regardless of when a person is baptized, um, but that's not exclusive. People can experience the Holy Spirit without ever having been baptized, physically baptized. So I think that's what you're talking about. Yes. Physical baptism, which is what you described with water. And then I think an experience of the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure I would call that a baptism, but you know, an experience of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's, you know, that is a part, it's a, it becomes a baptism is a very complicated thing in organized religion. Um, because people, um, some denominations baptize babies and don't baptize adults. Some baptize babies and adults. That's what the United Methodist Church does. Baptize and by adults, meaning someone who's able to make the decision on their own, like at confirmation. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and there are other churches that reject all of our baptisms and say that if you aren't baptized as an adult, and I'm not sure sometimes they would count confirmation. Um, it depends on the church. Now, some of the Baptist churches, they do baptism at around the same time, same age that we do confirmation. Um, about the basically, not quite the age of driving or legal decision, but an age of perceived decision making. Mm -hmm. um, my older son was going to Kenmore Alliance for a while. Um, he was baptized as an infant, but he felt that he needed to make that decision on his own and chose to be baptized again as an adult making the decision on his own. And it's interesting, the United Methodist Church does not agree with that. Right. Um, I don't know that I don't I don't think that I feel that way. Um, and I understand where they're coming from, from the perspective of if you're baptized once, you're baptized. You don't need to be baptized again. So there have been many times when someone has wanted to be baptized a second time and we've renewed their baptism. Yeah. Even, even renewed their baptism. See, when we renew baptisms, it's not supposed to look like a baptism because then we confuse people by thinking that we do believe in re-baptism. Right. Um, and hmm. um, I mean, I, I, um, I did a, a sort of a baptism in a river with a woman who was renewing her baptism. She'd already been baptized as a baby. Um, and so we just didn't call it a baptism, but oh my goodness, it was in a river and she went under. So it was a baptism and she was taller than me and I went under too. So, um, they, um, so it's, it's hard because I think there's, you know, we hear in the, one of the passages baptized in the, by John, 
and then baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, what about that is not a second baptism? Yeah. Yeah. Now, as a United Methodist, it's not like I advocate for it or encourage people to make that decision. I just don't see, I think there are places where people want to um, renew their faith um, in a pretty dramatic way, and that is one of them. Um, I was actually kind of baptized twice because my mother, I was so skinny and scrawny, believe it or not, my mother didn't think I was going to live to my baptism, so she baptized me in the bathtub. <laughs> that's, uh, Before that's, my dad had the chance to do it. but And, you know, that's they say any baptized Christian can baptize. Um, oh. and, so, and it was, you know, we were Lutheran, so... I'm not quite, I don't, I don't remember what their stance on everything um, is. Lutherans wouldn't be big on a second baptism either, but. Yeah, I didn't think so, but. No, but they, Lutherans, Presbyterians, well, even, even the baptizing, um, adult baptizing denominations, depends on which one, if you, depending in terms of, like, if you said you were baptized as a believer, and then wanted to be baptized again as a renewal of your faith, I honestly don't know what they would do. Yeah. You know, that's different yeah. from being baptized as a baby and then being baptized as an adult. Um, I was just talking with Sherry about the fact that she's working on uh, papers for commissioning. And one of the questions is the difference between deacons and elders. And in the United Methodist Church, elders um, are are ordained to word, order, and sacrament, and deacons are ordained for um, servanthood, service. And they're very specifically, like um, in areas where they have more deacons, because deacons have to find their own job. And upstate New York, or all of New York, and the Northeast in general, most churches don't have the money to hire a full-time deacon. But deacons, there are, you can be a deacon and be a church administrator, a church musician, a church nurse, um, or physician, I suppose. Um, the um, lots of deacon music directors and children's ministry people. Counseling, um, isn't Lori going for counseling deacon? Deacon she's, in. She's, she's thinking of going for deacon's orders. I don't. I mean, that that may be what she's going to do, and that would make sense. Um, yeah. I don't know how all that is going to work out because she's she's barely started. So um, it's but you become essentially a specialist as opposed to wow. elders who are general practitioners. Yeah. And we're guaranteed a job and deacons are not. Yeah. So, for example, um, Dee Finch, who's at Seneca Street, is a deacon. Mm -hmm. She is presiding at that church in a pastoral role, and yet she's also um, doing what it is she was trained to do. Um, Annie LaValle is at Kenmore. She's a deacon, right. and she has done children, youth, like Christian Ed. She's done discipleship. Right now, I think her job is more discipleship than it than it has been in the past. And 
um, and we have we actually have a number of deacons who are serving in churches in a pastoral role, um, partly because they have um, the education and the credentials, and they live someplace where someone who's there, where they're just not going to find someone else who's um, appointable as an elder. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting thing and part of the reason i started to say that is because i was baptized i was baptized i was baptized once but i was ordained twice i was ordained a deacon but back then a deacon was the same as what sherry's going for now which is commissioning so they're commissioned now they're not ordained but it's the same thing you're moved into a provisional probationary status as you move towards ordination as an elder but back in the time when when uh, Matt and I and others were ordained, you were ordained a deacon, and um, that was just what they did back then. And part of it was is that it it also was your credentialing to be a member to begin your um, probationary. It's, it's very much the same. And I think when they went to just one ordination. Um, it made a lot of sense because if you don't baptize twice, why would you ordain twice? Right. If if God does the now we don't consider ordination a sacrament, but if we believe that God is in the ordination, then didn't he get it right the first time? Why would we have to do it a second time? Um, so it's just a very interesting thing, this baptism. And I, um, I you know, it's funny that I feel this way because I'm a life long united methodist i think maybe it's because i married a baptist <laughs> but the um the infant baptism and i was baptized as an infant and i baptized my twins you know as soon as possible um but i just feel like it does make more sense when the person can make a choice you know it just feels like it's a lot more meaningful but i you know i guess that's confirmation but you know where you're confirming your baptism and your choice to to follow jesus and be a christian um but i don't think like most of our youth even truly understand all of that as they're going you know, when when we baptize at 13 or somewhere around that age they're kids they're really just kids yeah. and yeah. so i don't disagree with you i i you know, we're live streaming, it's going to be recorded. Everybody in the world can hear me say this, but I, I don't necessarily disagree um, with, with people finding a ritual, right? Something that marks an adult decision. Now, that can look in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be baptism. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the what the United Methodist Church has offered, which is that you can do other things. You don't doesn't have to be baptism. Um, kind of like renewing your wedding vows. Yeah. Except that recommitment. When people renew their wedding vows. They've been married a really long time. You know, it's not like although people renew their wedding vows when they decide, okay, I'm still in it. I'm signing up again, renewing <laughs> my contract. Um, right. Huh. So it's very interesting. So what would what would a United Methodist 
And I guess like I'm thinking just as a little bit of a backstory, we have some friends that um, invited us five or six years ago to, to go to a Christian family camp. And we went several summers. I think they they grew up in the Evangelical Lutheran Church or some maybe something that along the lines of that name. Um, and it was very evangelical, but it was so moving. One of the years that we went as a family, there was a 20-year-old young man, and he got baptized in the lake. It was in New Hampshire in this beautiful place on a lake. And it was just probably one of the spiritual highlights of my life, even witnessing that and being a part of that for him. And that just was like, just so moving that I, I felt like, oh, I, I wish I hadn't done it as a baby or my parents <laughs> hadn't done it because I would love to do that again. You know, I, know. I, I get it. And I have witnessed those baptisms when I was at a, on a when we were on a mission trip um, in Mississippi after Katrina, we went to New Orleans first and then came back and went to Mississippi and we stayed at a United Methodist camp and there it's on the ocean and there was a baptism that we ended up with. We had a number of youth with us. And so we, we ended up all watching the baptism and cheering. And, yeah. um, I think that, I just think that some of our Rules make good sense in your head, yeah. but not heart. And so, like I did a baptism, and this is, um, I don't, I think I might have mentioned this before. I did a baptism for a two-year-old who drowned, and there was some certainty that she had been baptized by someone in the emergent in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And then the parents asked me to baptize her at her funeral. Now that contradicts so many things about the United Methodist Church, yeah. about any, you know, whatever. And so I remember I was teaching seminary at the time and I gave this to my seminary students as a, what would you do? Yeah. And. I had to almost laugh, but not look like I was laughing because, well, the rules say, and this is what the discipline says, and this is it. Da, 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 da. And I, so at, at the end, I said, you know, you're correct. That's what it says. I said, how is it that the parents would understand that? Well, I, we would teach them. And I said, their two-year-old just drowned. Right there is no teaching at this time. And so uh, ultimately what I wanted them to get to was that if there was any comfort to be found, then it didn't matter if that baby had been baptized five times. It didn't matter. If that gave them some physical reassurance that that baby was gonna be in heaven, I never doubted that baby was gonna be in heaven, not for a minute if she'd never been baptized. Right. But if that gave them reassurance, then that's that's yeah. what felt important to me was that we we don't throw out our guidelines and we understand that they're there for a theological reason. You know, I was also invited to come to a hospital room and baptize a I don't know, he was maybe two or three and he had pneumonia. He he wasn't really that sick. You know, when we do emergency baptisms, it's because 
there's a chance that there's imminent risk that the child is going to die. And then, of course, we'll do it. Um, but what we talked through instead was anointing this toddler and praying for him to be healed and then talking through going to their church and having him baptized when he was discharged yeah. um, because they didn't they didn't need that reassurance that if he died that he was going to be in heaven they were just worried yeah and I, so you know there are times to kind of say yes I mean, I've baptized other babies or toddlers who are on life support and they're going to take them off life support. And that's different. That's very yeah. different. Um, and that's really hitting home for me because um, to make a long story short, Jack was born without his lungs developed. They were premature. Um, but Katie was healthy as a horse. She was 6'11 and one of the longest babies they've seen, <laughs> which is not surprising. So she went home fine, but he, I didn't even see him. They whisked him away in an ambulance to Children's because I delivered at Millard Fillmore Suburban. And Dan followed the ambulance and apparently he was, it was really touch and go the first few hours and I had to pitch a fit to get Katie and me moved to children's because they said, well, we don't move healthy babies. You know, if, if we have to, we'll move you, but we're not moving her. And I had had enough drugs in me that I would, I didn't care. You know, I was just like, well, you're doing it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going and she's coming with me. <laughs> so then they took me in an ambulance down the 33 to children's and she and I arrived in the, lobby of children's and she was like maybe eight hours old because it took that long to get it all done and everybody clapped because they thought i had delivered in the end <laughs> no 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 really and then um but jack was really really sick and in the nicu and i you know i made a mistake i talked to our church pendleton center and they said um you know, do you want, and it was, it was actually Pastor Suzanne, Suzanne Block. And, you know, I, I was still one of those young mothers that didn't want to bother anybody. And she said, do you want somebody to go? And I said, oh, I think it'll be okay. And then I think I kind of held a grudge for several years that nobody did come because I said it was okay. It was my fault. But then um, another pastor, Jake Denny from the yeah. Ransomville yep. Church, he was up in the NICU because there was a baby there that did actually pass away from his congregation. And so he said some words over Jack and prayed with Jack while Dan was there. I wasn't even there, but that did give me a lot of comfort. I mm -hmm. never doubted, gosh, I could cry thinking about it, but I never doubted for a minute that if, you know, if Jack didn't make it, that he wouldn't go to heaven. Right. I, I didn't doubt that at all. But it was super comforting to, to know that, like, an official clergy person mm -hmm. was there, you know, that carries more weight, I thought, than, <laughs> than well, on. I think it's any kind of, um, and I've, I haven't gone to the hospital every time a baby's been born because that's just often not possible. But yeah. when I have gone with a healthy baby, even, yeah. um, I've, I've anointed them. And definitely with babies that are are sick, um, 
but maybe not, you know, really touch and go in terms of life and death. Yeah. Um, and it gave, I mean, I even even anointed a friend's twin granddaughters because they, they couldn't decide on what to do about church. And so they didn't know what to do about having the twins baptized. So this was kind of the intermediary step. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, they were anointed with a vino, no scent baby oh. lotion oh. <laughs> because most anointing oil as is either right. kind of like Vaseline. Yeah. If it's scented, it could literally burn a little baby skin with the scent. So you don't uh. want to do that. But I think that I think that there are times when when we want a ritual, we want whether it's a prayer, yeah. um, laying on of hands, whatever yeah. it is, I think that that we want that. Yeah. Um, and so it's um well, I'm glad you shared that. I didn't know that, Kelly. Yeah, and now look at them. You know, the two of them are <laughs> the twin towers. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, how long did he stay there? He was there only for eleven days. Um, they gave him four shots of surfactant at the time. Mm -hmm. They said it was the most they'd ever given a baby. Um, because yeah, his lungs were really just, I had a really great pregnancy, but they were six weeks early. Um, but they were big for six weeks. I mean, he was 5'11", and she was 6'11". But, you know, thank goodness they, they didn't go a lot longer because they would have been <laughs> really big babies. Um, yeah. A lot of people confuse big with healthy. That's and they true. think, you know, I mean, it's certainly it's better for a baby to be 5'11 and sick, then be yeah. one and a half pounds and sick. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. The nurses were so cute. They said, he has wimpy white boy syndrome. Have you heard that before? They said, a premature baby, they said, give me a little black girl any day. They are the strongest. If you're going to have a one or two pound preemie, a black girl is the best. And they said the worst is a white boy. They said wow. they developed their lungs last and all those things. So they said, yeah, he's just got wimpy white boy syndrome. <laughs> but every once in a while we remind him of that. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. One of the one of the children in the church that I was in before, um, her name is Miracle. And she's um she's Caribbean American so but she's black and they uh so she was the smallest surviving preemie at strong oh wow, um, oh, wow. At, the, at the time she was born she's now six um oh. and talk about feisty oh my goodness she's feisty and she lives up to every last name of that every bit of her name and don't you forget it that's awesome. That's awesome. So it's interesting that you say that because she was she was less than two pounds, I know. Wow. And um, so it's just it's it's amazing. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, we got there kind of the long way around, but I'm glad that we did. Yeah. Um, and I have to ask, Charlie's doing great, right? He is doing great. He went to. I shared this in the Saturday service, but because there are so few people there, I could yeah. speak, we could share and, um, and didn't on Sunday, but he went to his, this was his 
first follow-up with the cardiologist where he had an echocardiogram, an EKG, not yeah, an EKG, um, and uh, blood work and stuff like that. And they said that he's right where he's supposed to be, that um, they put a picture of his heart. Um, I don't know if it was before the surgery or soon after the surgery and his heart now. And because his heart had become too muscular, too big, right. and too thick. And so they showed the picture. They didn't share that with us, although they probably would if I asked, that his heart now um, is just way closer to what it's supposed to be. God. So oh, they took him off um, one of his medications oh. and um, they, it's kind of funny because they, he's on two medications. One is an antacid. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that because babies with heart surgery tend to have a lot of acid reflux. Yeah. And the other one is actually a heart medication. And that Jordan and Sarah were like, please, please just take him off the antacid because he hates it. It tastes nasty. It's a nasty texture. Um, you know, he just doesn't like it. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't, he likes the heart medicine. It tastes yummy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sure enough, they did take him off of it. Oh, not the heart medicine, but the antacid. So Jack was on Zantac for two years after he was born, which is funny. He sounded like an old man, you know, I know. Zantac. I know. That's, that's what we think. We think about Dan with his acid reflux. He right. should be on it. But I didn't know that about newborns um, or about preemies. But yeah, I guess it's, that's pretty common. Yeah. So. All right, we're going to look at chapter three in okay. Acts. And um, they, um, there's, some, there's some pretty neat things about this, this first part of the story. Um, and so Kelly is gone. Oh, I'm here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just closing. A vanishing act. I was just closing the door. My dog was barking loudly. Oh, I'm back. You <laughs> didn't hear it. Um, would you read uh, chapter three, verses one through ten? Absolutely. Okay. And mine is titled "Peter Heals a Lame Beggar." One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, 
They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So it's a it's a pretty neat story. Yeah. Um, there are parts of it that um, that I think are are helpful to look at. First of all, Peter and John are going to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. They're going to the synagogue to do Jewish prayers at three o'clock. Okay. So part of what that tells us is that even though they have become Christians, they wouldn't even necessarily call themselves Christians, but they, they were followers of Jesus, absolutely sold out for Jesus. Right. And yet they were still Jewish. Ah. And so the, the practices of the Jewish people did not disappear. Unlike when we were in Hebrews where the, it was an active fight to try to keep the people believing in Jesus and not going back to, um, being Jewish without Jesus, these apostles were Christian, no doubt about it, but they were also practicing Jews, which I find very, it's just one of those places where if you don't pay attention, you don't really notice that that's what they're going to do. Um, and the um, one of the other parts of this is the way that that one person described it is when Peter and John are going to the temple and um, he asked them for money and he said, look at us. And some translations will talk about the fact that the, the man, the crippled man as mine a crippled beggar is what's called in mind, is staring at them, just like looking at them, which it, it describes here, um, and he fixed his attention on them. So he's looking at them. And so some people will uh, talk about the fact that they didn't look like anything special. They didn't look any different from anybody else that was walking around. Um, mm -hmm. But they certainly were better off than the, the crippled guy who got put out to ask for money every day. Um, and so then when he um, tells them, um, so he, he saw them, Peter looked intently at him as did John, and then he fixed his attention on him. So they noticed him and they were looking at him. Then he's, you know, there's this like staring thing between them, but I thought what was really neat is the fact that in the passage, it makes it clear that they saw each other. This was not just a kind of a peripheral um, or the guy like other passages, you'll hear, um, you'll see people get in Jesus way and um, kind of create a fuss to get Jesus attention. Now this isn't Jesus, but this guy just asked them like any other guy um for money but they noticed him mm -hmm. and then he noticed them back um mm -hmm. and so it's um the other thing that is of note is that 
when he's healed, it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Yeah. So they, even though the disciples were given, the apostles, disciples, even though they were given the power to go out and heal, it wasn't, there wasn't ever the thought that they would do it in their name. Kind of like the person baptized in John's name. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't even know when I've heard that because yeah. They, um, but the credit, who takes the credit? Do the disciples take the credit or does Jesus get the credit? And, mm -hmm. um, and Jesus does. And um, they, um, it just was a, it's a very important um, part of this particular story because um when he's healed he's healed in the name of jesus christ yeah. um, and that's an important and what was the response of the people who saw him at the temple amazed they were amazed mm -hmm. yep filled with wonder and amazement yeah what had happened to him because they recognized him um and so that which leads into the next part of this chapter was, which is that, so now this has happened and this man has been healed and people are all noticing him, them, which then turns the focus onto Peter and John, mm -hmm. who now are gonna preach. You know, never give up an opportunity to preach. Yeah. And so they, um, so we get to the the next part of that and linda how about if you read from 11 through the end of 16. okay while the man held on to peter and john all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called solomon's colonnade when peter saw this he said to them fellow israelites why does this surprise you why do you stare at us as if our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are the witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. So, some pretty big messages in there. Um, yeah. What are the ones that jump out at you? You killed him. <laughs> you did it. Yeah. Very like this is you. Um, and now we'll cheat a little bit, but we're not going there yet. Verse 17. And now, friends, I know you acted in ignorance. And so did your rulers. Uh huh. So they get off the hook but not in this this particular part of it. And I mean, I, when you think about people who get who do something wrong and their wrongs are pointed out 
and then they are sort of it's sort of softened later. Uh, what do you think they go away with? Guilt. So, the guilt. The, blame. <laughs> the initial thing. Yeah. If they don't necessarily hear the softened part, I know you didn't mean it. Um, right. You want them to. Um, I used to always say my mother was a travel agent for guilt trips. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> That's. It is interesting. When I was growing up, the reason that we didn't get into more trouble than we did was guilt, but it or was the fe was fear of disappointing our parents. Right. So then there's the guilt. So, uh, but our parents didn't necessarily. They never shamed us or did anything that. Um, but boy, oh boy, we knew what was right and wrong, and yeah. nobody wanted to get in trouble. My brother didn't care so much, but. My sister and I did. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, that's a whole separate topic, but you've talked so much about how you didn't grow up in the church, but it sounds like your family had really high morals. And, yeah. you know, it's it, that's always so fascinating to me that when people have such a great moral code and are such what people would say good people, but, you know, it's like, wow, what's driving them? Yeah. Um, yes. And it's, it is interesting. I think that um, while our parents loved us as best they can, that was the piece that they didn't have. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they, they did the best they could, but it wasn't like you didn't get the morals and the joy and the sort of the, that comes with the faith part of it. You right. got yeah. the morals and the high expectations Huh. Not as much of a reward system because as I I heard somebody the other day, well, why do we have to thank them? They were just doing their job. Um, yeah, that works. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but I when I went to college, I went looking for somebody for some place to find the same morals that I had. Mm -hmm. And it happened that they lined up in the Christian faith just perfectly. All I had to do was find Jesus to go with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was, you know, we picked up along the roadside. We were taught right and wrong um, and obeyed the rules, mostly. Uh, I, I was always good because I saw what happened when my sister Sue wasn't. <laughs> she was the troublemaker in the family. Was she the oldest? Is she the oldest? She was older than me. Yeah, she's older than I am. Sue Hiltz, have you met Sue Hiltz yet? No. Okay, she's my sister. You'll see her when she narrates the cantata that's going to be. Oh, yeah. Like, I've yeah. seen the name. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, she was always the rebellious one. That's funny. My yeah. mother was the rebellious one growing up. And my brother, who's my mother's son, but not my father's, because she was married before. Oh, okay. And he was the rebellious one to some extent. But... Um, and then of the two of us, I was the one who kind of got in a little more trouble because I was just more fun than my sister. That's all. That makes it more interesting. That's what it is. She was more fun than me. <laughs> and she, my sister knew it. She, when I came home, she wanted to go have fun with me because then she could ride on my fun coattails. Yeah. But I wanted to rest when I came home and having all the fun. <laughs> so um, we also, in the middle of verse 12, 
How does Peter address the people? He calls fellow. Yeah, fellow. Fellow. Fellow, fellow what? Israelites. Israelites. Um, and then he goes on to talk about um, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our ancestors. So uh, do you remember when we were um, in Hebrews and we were talking about um, the use of some of the big names, like mm -hmm. in Hebrews 10, when you have the, the sort of the all the heroes? Yeah. And why, do you remember why we talked about why did they use all those names from the Old Testament? The ancestry, the lineage, the remembering your roots. It validates that we're all from the same place. Yeah, wow. It validates that I know how you, who may not have accepted Jesus just yet, I know where you came from. And Jesus came from a simp from a human lineage um, that's the same. And mm -hmm. so there's a sense of identifying with their heritage, even though obviously it's Jewish and not Christian. Um, but by name dropping, mm -hmm. he's he's winning them over by uh, finding affinity with them in his in his sermon. Um, and then, of course, we go on to the shaming. Um, and that's anything else you see in there? In verse um, 15, when they, when he says, you killed the author of life, I thought. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty harsh. <laughs> I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, wait, can anybody kill God? Right. <laughs> because we think of, even though we're Trinitarian, we think of God as the author of life because it's God who speaks creation into being. Um, we learn later that it's the Trinity, but I, I don't know that I would describe Jesus as the author of life, but I sure right. wouldn't think about killing him. <laughs> right. The author of life. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's pretty strong pretty strong language. Um, and so mm -hmm. some of the things, just to recap, the apostles were devout Jews, um, three o'clock in the afternoon at the temple um, gate. So it goes along with the command that those who love God in the, in the Torah, um, command that those who love God offer daily sacrifices to the Lord. So three o'clock in the afternoon was evidently the time. Um, and they kind of wanted to make a big deal of the thought that he was lame from birth. I couldn't in any of my thinking about different healing stories come up with a reason why that would be important. Hmm. Do you As, think, is it about, um, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is where there are stories where it's almost questioned their behavior because they're disabled or have a disability did they did they sin or did their parents sin or right and then i wondered the same thing because there are um i've got my phone cord anyway i'm tangled up in cords oh <laughs> help um i went I'll to be there my, he'll help i was went to move my chair and i was about to pull everything off the table Ooh. um the 
that sense of the sons of the, the sins of the parents are visited upon their children. Mm -hmm. um, so I wonder, and I would have to look this up to see, well, if you're he if you heal someone who has been lame since birth and you believe in that sort of hereditary damage that's done originally caused by sin, are you healing back? Are you forgiving the history in that family? Mm. That's a pretty interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Because that's where that's where that takes me is um and when I was reading about this passage, it simply was noted that it was significant that he had been crippled since his birth. Um, yep, anything else? The... Um, Mm -hmm. Our notes do talk about, um, it just says to me that, you know, the death of Jesus had occurred right there in Jerusalem only weeks earlier. It, it is that close in time. Yeah. And I think, uh, did we talk about that last time, Linda, about I how think long so. it was? Um, that it wasn't that long. Um, that between the Ascension and Pentecost. Oh, right. So, yeah, this is still, this is still right around Pentecost. Right. I yeah. Think it's hard because we don't know, like, between chapter one and Acts and chapter three, how much time has gone by, but evidently not very much time. Yeah. But these are people that did not witness the, um, the Pentecost experience. Mm -hmm. So it's after that. Okay. Because between the resurrection and the ascension, it was, what, 40 days, right? Supposedly so, 50, 50, days 50, between, days. 50 days between the resurrection and Pentecost. Okay. Right. Oh, and Jesus was on earth for, he came back and was here for 40 days. Right. Right. So, then, so now we're up to 10 days. Ah. Uh, about 10 days. So they had about 10 days where he was gone, but the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. Right. Okay. Right. And so now we're, however long after that is, is where we are. Got it. Um, it's, um, it's also pretty interesting that, that in chapter three, the two disciples or apostles that are focused on in terms of healing and preaching are Peter and John the doubter and the runner um, because Peter denied Jesus, not doubting Thomas, but Peter denied Jesus three times. Mm -hmm. And when they were in the garden of Gethsemane, John was one of the ones who ran away. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not the runner and the doubter. It's the runner and the denier, but doubter works better if you're going to yeah. des describe it like that. Right. Jesus always uses the, the people you least expect. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and I think that it's a, I don't know, I think there's there's a, so many stories of redemption 
and isn't this one of them that they um, have redeemed themselves because what they did was simply fear they were just afraid you know when the soldiers came and arrested jesus and then when jesus was taken prisoner and i think that peter was likely afraid that he was going to also be taken um and now here they are mm -hmm. significant um impact that that peter and john have um so let's continue with the sermon and now friends I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. So it's not just that you didn't know and your rulers didn't know, it's that this was, the, this was what was prophesied right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Repent therefore and, return, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. So the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that it is Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you from your own people a prophet like me. You must listen to whatever he tells you and it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the people and all the prophets, as many have spoken from Samuel and those after him also predicted these days. You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and in your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways feels like one Riley long run on sentence. <laughs> right. It's not, but it wow. reads like one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So repentance is one of the, the themes in this particular mm -hmm. um, part. And repent and return. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, have you have you had when you've talked or taught or thought about repentance? How have you described that? What does that? How would you describe what repentance means to someone? Pastor Tom was that was one thing that he always drilled into the congregation. He would literally say, "Turn around," mm -hmm. and he would physically do that. So. That has been kind of drilled into me that it's, you know, it's not just asking for forgiveness and saying you're sorry, but it's turning from whatever you've done, right? Walking away. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. That, um, and it says, um, repent therefore and turn mm -hmm. to God. So it doesn't talk about the necessarily use the the word repent meaning turn but it's repent and turn so it is the same it is yeah. the same kind of kind of idea and um so he's talked about the ways that he that peter lets them off the hook um and 
the fact that God was in charge all along and that uh, Peter indicates the Messiah's suffering was fulfillment of, the, of God's plan. Um, the Peter implores his hearers to repent, literally to change their minds about Jesus. These Jerusalem Israelites are challenged to turn around in their thinking about Jesus so that they, like the prodigal son, might return to a joyfully waiting God. I don't think I, I don't think that I, I don't often look at other biblical stories and think about people that you're preaching to being the prodigal children. But isn't that true? That in any given time, that in the people who hear Christian preachers might be a prodigal child that has gone away and is trying to find their way back. That was me. <laughs> but it feels like every one of us, regardless of whether it was big rebellion or little rebellions every day, little decisions and choices that you make. I mean, I still feel like, you know, you could call me a prodigal today because I'm not totally doing everything perfectly. Yeah. Well, and I think, and I've, I've, I've believed that we... And maybe I don't typically think about it in terms of prodigal, but I think it is. We get lost along the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just that getting lost doesn't look like the prodigal story. We don't go and, you know, get ourselves in such trouble that we're wishing we could eat the slop that the pigs were given. Right. Um, right. But I think that um, life is full of, full of, those kinds of things. I think life is full of conversion experiences, which to me means remembering, oh, right, this is what I believe. Turning back, which is not so much the same as repentance in my mind, it's much, as much as it is remembering my faith and saying, yes, that I'm all in again. Yeah. I just Googled prodigal because I was thinking, what does, what does that really mean? It's funny, like it looks very secular, but it talks about just being extravagantly wasteful. Um, but I think we as Christians, we're using it more of just being wayward, mm -hmm. more than I think the, the secular world has taken that story of spending the father's inheritance or spending your inheritance from the father. Um, or spending my kids' inheritance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can start to relate to that, yeah. Because yeah. when you were talking, I was like, well, um, we always told our kids we weren't going to leave anything except for memories. Because yeah. we, we didn't spend all of our money, but we spent, we spent a lot of money when they were growing up making memories, going on trips, doing yeah. neat things together. And so we, we told them, this is why when we die it won't be like when my grandparents died where they'd saved all their money had not done fun things they had good lives but they had not done the things that they wished they would do so we spent their money doing fun things with our kids mm -hmm. that's all you know yeah but sometimes amazon isn't always uh buying memories <laughs> <laughs> i know it's so easy with 
online right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the new QVC. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, right? <laughs> we had at the church that I was in before, they had several annual, um, they called them super sales, but they literally had, um, that started when they had somebody who worked for Penny's and in Penny's boutique oh. department where the where the the name brands were, they would um, they would either sell them or give them to the church and then the church would sell them and they'd make a lot of money. Oh, wow. um, well, that eventually wasn't the case anymore. But periodically we would have somebody who was all about QVC and uh, maybe they would go to a nursing home or pass away and all their QVC stuff would come to the super sale, you know, like 17 purses that are pretty much the same, just different colors, half of them still in the bag. Um, it's kind of somewhere between um, spending someone's inheritance and hoarding. Um, yeah, right. But I had I was like, where did this stuff come from? Because I didn't recognize any of it. And they were like, this is all QVC stuff. Right. <laughs> okay. I had my my aunt. It, it is good. I feel almost bad talking saying it because my aunt who had MS like my mom and was very bedridden. It was a great way for her to shop. So all of our Christmas presents were always QVC. <laughs> it was nice that she could do that, you know. Yeah, and it was yeah because just like now, the fact that you know we can send gifts like when your kids are away at college or when yeah. even even when when Linda when you just can't be with them or your grandchildren yeah. you can go on yeah. to somewhere and send something to them um yeah and it is I think they're getting gift cards this year though because I don't know their sizes and I don't know what toys they already have and so I think I'm going to send them gift cards this year some people think, oh, that's not meaningful. I can tell you that the spenders of the gift cards think it's very meaningful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So it's, um, so he talks about the Messiah appointed for you, it's Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration. Is that what yours use? Is that the term yours use? What verse is it? It's, um, sure, I just looked. It's 21. verse 21. It says to restore everything. So very similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God to restore everything. Hmm. Which we understand to be the second coming. Mm -hmm. Um and then it goes on 23 how does your verse 23 read anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people mine is a little more dramatic utterly rooted out ah is what mine says. Yeah. They're big into kind of like rooting out those weeds in the garden. I know. But I I throw my weeds on the driveway and let the sun kill them off. I don't think 
think I want to suffer that fate. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a uh, it's, some, there's some pretty drastic things in here. Um, and then it goes on to talk about Samuel and those after him, they predicted these days, descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God gave to your ancestors saying to Abraham, and this is the part I think we're saying to Abraham, and then I'm assuming that that's supposed to be a quote, and in your descendants, all the family of the, of the mm -hmm. earth blessed. Yeah. I'm just, you know, normally it's kind of in italics or something, yeah. but it's not. So we have like the single quote because it's contained within the double quote that makes sense like mm -hmm. it yeah so right peter is saying all of this is john just standing there and going yeah what he said <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so funny and you know some of the things that um it one of the people that i was uh, that i quoted in my working preparing peter's sermon follows a dramatic healing and although peter does all the talking yeah. The narrative does include John. Peter and John together um, do this. And so we don't know um, exactly why, but Acts makes sure we remember John's participation because they were in it together. But John, you don't ever hear John's voice. Right. You just hear him alluded to. And although he does not speak yet, he will go to jail with Peter demonstrate boldness alongside Peter in Acts 4 and argue his case alongside Peter. So in verse, in chapter 4, we'll get to John speaking up. We might easily overlook John's role. Um, and then this person said, this story is about the Easter church, not Peter being a hero. So to, to be reminded that even though Peter has sort of taken center stage, he doesn't claiming center stage right um but it does speak to why it gives some understanding that it's just not peter's john, john's turn yet but it works. i see it kind of like our sunday services where like if you're preaching scott and sherry are there mm -hmm. ah. but you're the one giving the message right they're there for their whatever they're to do at the time. Right. And thanks for reading scripture, by the way. That was nice. Oh, you're welcome. By video. I yeah, I love was, that. It was very nice. Um, what did you think of the, the communion liturgy? Did you notice the differences in it? Yeah, I loved it. It was very I meaningful. I thought that um, you know, I, I wondered how people would respond to it. So I, you know, all the, when I put it together, i kept all the parts together, all the parts in there that people are used to, right. so that, so that people find the ritual and the repet, repetitive words, um, that we always say in communion are still in there, but kind of weave right. around it words that are about Christmas and Jesus yeah. coming. Yeah. Well, when I was at Gowanda, I didn't always use the same thing every week either. And, um, 
but yeah, I liked it. I also like the way the sanctuary looks this year. And I keep forgetting to say, I love the way you did the saints that Sunday too. Oh yes, That was awesome. That it, was yeah, so it, meaningful and touching and yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, this being such an exceptional year, just unprecedented. Um, my dad lost his sister, right? I think it was two days before Easter, not to COVID, but she passed and she passed alone. And she's supposed to be buried up here, even though she lived her whole adult life really in Washington, DC. And her kids have been trying valiantly to get up here to bury her. They did have her cremated. But it was like one of the only real public remembrances of her. And so I submitted her name and uh, I, I could tell it really touched my dad that, you know, that finally she was receiving some acknowledgement of her passing, you know, and that there probably were a lot of people like that on the list that yeah. have a funeral and yeah. Right. And I think that, yeah, because it's been, there haven't been the places and the ways that we would honor them and and speak about their lives. Um, right. Or even sit vigil with them while they're dying. Right. I think that's sometimes some of the hardest part. Um, and it's part of why I'm so grateful that um, that I don't know how long it'll last if things get worse, that they're still allowing someone to come in our, at least at Roswell, I don't know about the other hospitals, that when someone is dying, they still, someone can still come. Um, I think that is still in most hospitals, hospitals, it's end of life, pediatric and- um, Birth? Birth, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's- um, I, I, Taking a turn here, um, with communion, I've noticed that we don't always do a prayer of confession before communion anymore. And I had been kind of drilled into me that as well, that, that we needed to do that. Is there, is, does the United Methodist Church not think that we have to do that? No, I think that there's, um, you know, when I historically, I used to always do a prayer of confession and assurance of pardon, not necessarily like directly next to communion yeah, right. because the liturgy in communion lends itself to some, some acknowledgement of our human condition. Um, and so when, when, when I, when I came here and I was trying to get them to explain to me how they did the prayer of confession and there was a sense that um, so there was a little bit of a lack of understanding that in terms of, well, it's not official, it's not written, it's something that the pastor says and then the people repeat. And I, I couldn't quite get my mind around it because to me, a prayer of confession is pastor introduces it. We pray the prayer together. The pastor yes. says in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And then you say in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. 
um, that's my understanding of a prayer of confession. That's how so, I did it at Gowanda. Yeah. Um, and so the other thing that 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 I was told was that the church wasn't used to doing like together kind of prayers. Huh. Well, we could get used to it. Right. <laughs> well, and you know, it was the um, the the way that it got to be done in the last like probably couple of years. They they typically did it um, with the um, now I can't think of what you know just the big prayer in service. Oh, and the pastoral prayer. Pastoral prayer, yeah. Um, at the end of that, and and there were I hate to admit this, there were times where it almost got a little comical because the phrases that the pastor said be, that they wanted us to repeat got to be so confusing and it was different every single week and there was one where like a bunch of our friends and us we still laugh about it and we're probably should be struck down with lightning <laughs> but it was like for you know please forgive me for the things i do not do and the things that i do that i should not do and could not do or something <laughs> And I think everybody was like, <laughs> we couldn't have all, all tongue tied. Yeah. yeah. And so um, it got, it got to be, you know, people almost got giggly about it too. I think that, um, that I think it would be nice. I, I miss the prayer of confession or having, or feeling like I've confessed and then, you know, in whatever format I'm open to any format. And maybe that's what the staff was referring to that it, you know, it was very much, I feel like, impromptu, right. whatever the pastor yeah. to say. And I, I can remember when they were trying to explain to me, so, so, okay, now we're going to record this, and now you're going to do this. Well, I'm going to do what? Well, you're going to do the prayer of confession. Well, what prayer of confession? Uh, is there a prayer of confession? No, this is the way we do it. We say it, and then da-da-da-da. And I was like, you're going to have to give me a minute because <laughs> yeah. I can't, I, I have to write it down for myself. If I'm going to ask people to say something that I said, it needs to flow. It needs to make sense. Uh, so right. Even if they don't have it written down, I need it to be written down so that I'm not like, bleh, 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 and make oh, people yeah. giggle. So, when, I, when, when I was at Gowanda, I would, um, I used the, um, discipleship ministries a lot and and they would i i followed the lectionary so they would give you prayers of confession that went along with wow. and um you know with the theme of the week and it was always in the bulletin and the the church would say it it was a unison prayer and then at the end it was in the name of jesus christ your sins are forgiven and then so and I, think I miss more, some of it yeah. is not having a bulletin, right? Yes, and uh, some of it is trying to keep the service really tight. Yeah, um, because years ago, and in traditional services, which most of the churches I've had have had at least one one of each kind of service. In the traditional service, there would be a call to worship, which would sometimes be responsive. It would yep. be in the bulletin. Then there would be. Um, prayer of invocation, which it might be in the bulletin, but it was usually the pastor who prayed it. And yep. then there might be one of the scripture readings. And then there was the prayer of confession. 
-hmm. um, and um, the um, and part of that was that even though confession in, in our humanity is referenced in the in communion, there's a sense that you want to have your confession and your pardon before you get to communion, right? Yeah. Um, no matter how you do it, but it's um, it can't it, for me. This is this is just me. For me, it, it can't just be stuck in there. It's got to be. It's got to have a flow that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, it can look very extemporaneous, even though it's not. Right. But while I haven't always been a person who follows the lectionary, I have been um, the kind of person who works very hard to make sure that the that the prayers go and the music goes with whatever it is that we're talking about. Yeah. Just kind of like tweaking the um, the consecration of communion to incorporate the fact that now we're in Advent. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Kind of to try to help people listen. And I guess it's also the idea that even with making the sanctuary look the way it is, um, is the fact that you want people to feel it from the minute they get there. You want yeah. them to feel that sense of this is a peaceful, beautiful space. And I don't have, there's not chaos. And, yeah. um, and so we, there was a, even more intentionality this year um, in my uh, kind of, everybody helps, but I, I, I tend to be the, and some of that is because I have an idea in my mind as to where I want to go and what it's going to look like. Um, and so then it begins conveying that and communicating that to people so that we can all then do it together. Um, and so it's, um, uh, it's just, I, my feeling is that worship starts the minute people walk in the sanctuary yeah. and even if they're talk, talk, talking, that's fine. Um, but the, the environment is a part of the message. It's actually a sanctuary. Yeah. 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 Set apart. I know we're a little bit over time. I have one more funny story that, that I have to share with you about the prayer of confession. It just, I just remembered it. This was probably like five years ago. Um, so Dan and I have been married 20 years and it was, I think the 15th anniversary when we, um, when we used to take communion and go up by intention, mm -hmm. they would put um, messages up on the wall while Sue played the organ and it would be blessings and um, mostly blessings, I guess, things that you're thankful for. Um, so long story long, this week before our 15th anniversary, um, I didn't go to church. I was sick, but Dan went with the kids. And then the day of our anniversary, the next week, we were, we'd done the prayer of confession. We were walking up to get communion and up on the wall, it says, you know, praise to God that I'm married to my wife for 15 years. It's the best thing I've ever done or something. And I got like all teary eyed and I turned around to Dan because you always submitted them the week before right. and then it would show up. And I said to him, Oh my gosh, that's like the nicest thing. And he goes, I didn't write that. <laughs> and it turns out there's another couple that shared our anniversary of the same week. And after we got home, he said, 
Hell, I really wanted to tell you that I had written that, but we on the prayer of confession. That's right. And we're headed towards communion. This is not the time for lying. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. I, I've always, I've often said, like, that's the time I'm going to ask him anything as we're, like, walking. Because <laughs> you're, you're going to get the truth. Yeah. They, when we had when we had staff meeting today, for whatever reason, Debbie pulled up notes from a staff meeting that was on March 17th. Oh. And it was all the staff came together um, in the sanctuary because now COVID's we have to close down and they the notes that she had were well, we're gonna close for at least a week. And the CDC cannot tell us what to do. Um, and, and you know, so we, and we were all like, yeah, um, that's not true. Um, but there was, and then they, the, the decision was, we're not going to have worship for two weeks. So the idea was, you know, by the end of March that there would be worship again. And, yeah. you know, there was a whole bunch of other stuff, but it was just so, funny to read this and to to hear how how short-sighted we all thought we all thought that that's what was going to happen um but there were things in there that we laughed about like not having to do what the cdc says and which would be the the equivalent of not doing what new york state says and yeah really we don't really have choices about some of that kind of stuff well i think and i think it's like i've heard people say about god he only gives us you know, what we can handle at the time. I think our little brains, if you'd have told us in March that it was gonna be all the way through Christmas and however long it ends up being, I think I think we would have just been like, I'm done, you know, I'm out. You're <laughs> yeah. saying probably not till late summer, early fall that yeah. every the, the vaccines will be done and yeah, so. I think we couldn't have handled it, you know, we just had to think, Okay, it's a couple- we, well, and I think we did. I know that in my my planning, it was like, well, by the time I arrive, you know, we'll be in the sanctuary. We'll be having worship. It'll be all all done. And of course, by the time I arrived, it was like, no, we can't. It's too dangerous. Um, I mean, that's part of what I was saying, as well as everybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now we're in a time when things are kind of, I don't know, how are you guys feeling about the changes and the numbers and stuff like that? People need to be smart. Yeah. People need to realize that as much as we want to watch the football game with our friends and have our family dinners, I'd rather not see you this year and have you there next year. Yeah. It feel to me, I'm feeling like it's really difficult to know how anybody gets it now. And I heard somebody say, you know, you almost have to assume that people around you, wherever you are, somebody's right. got it. And so you've just got to be just, you know, super vigilant with all of the the things, the mask, the hand washing, the sanitizer, just everything and trying to be around as few people as possible you know it's it's just it's hard but i think yeah i just i just want to i want the 
it's selfishly, I want the people I loved it to be safe through the next six months or so, you know, and it's like, how do we keep them safe? Yeah. And, yeah. and look how many just in the past, since Thanksgiving, how many prayer requests have gone out for people with COVID in the hospital? One of my parents' um, friends just died of COVID and they went to the funeral home because they're so big on that, which I respect. And they wanted to pay their respects, but I'm just thinking, oh, I don't know if I would have even gone at their age. I, yeah, I wouldn't, even at my age, I, I wouldn't go to it right now. I know, because we're yeah. trying to be so careful with them, but you know. But at the same time, I think there's a, I mean, they do need to be careful and everybody around them needs to be careful. At the same time, they're, if they're being careful and if they're wearing masks and, you know, taking the precautions when they go to someplace like that, for them to not do it is death. Yeah. Because that, um, that's a generational thing. Although Matt and I yeah. both also feel very, very strongly about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it has to be done in a smart way. It has to yeah. be. And the funeral homes have to have be on top of it. But yeah. in general, it's just better for people to stay out of groups like yeah. that. I mean, we're making the decision. We're going to rent a house in Cleveland for after Christmas. Everybody on, on Zoom on Thanksgiving Day, everybody agreed that they would, everybody was willing to go through whatever was required to do this. And, um, but we won't, we'll do our grocery shopping here. We won't go to the stores in Cleveland. We won't go out anywhere. And because we're moving, we'll be in a rental house. There won't be other people in and out. And right. there's, there's a good chance that Jordan and Sarah will come to our rental house to be with us instead of all of us piling into their little house. But, oh, good. Um, you know, we just, I took time off afterwards so that, you know, I could do whatever was required for safety. And, and if, if it, for example, if Katie and Jeff are told you, the, if the flights are canceled, like they were in March, then obviously we won't do it because they won't be coming. Right. Um, but. Right. Just trying yeah. to be, we're trying to be careful, but also trying to be within that careful, find ways to still be family to each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they were, my dining room table isn't very big here. Uh, Matt's got the big one in, in Rochester. And so having my laptop on the table while we were eating Thanksgiving was a bit of a challenge because uh -huh. we all had to come over on one side of the table. And, um, but it just, it just felt so important. Yeah. Plus, we got to watch Charlie roll. Oh. He rolled this way, and then he rolled back, and there was all this cheering. Come on, Charlie, you can do it, because he was trying and trying, and then eventually he would flip over, and then he flipped right over. It was like the, the going from his back over, from his stomach onto his back is easy. Okay. Um, but from his back, back over onto his stomach, is you know he's got to he's he knows now how to tuck his arm in ah. because that arm gets in the way every time um <laughs> but just 
so darn cute. It's the simple things. It really is. It really is. Well, it's good to be with you and we'll uh, carry on with Peter, not to Peter, John. We'll hear from John next week. Okay. All right. Excellent. Blessings. Be safe. You too. Awesome. All Thank right. You. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Good night.